This is the Canucks Central postgame show. Go to Joshua, gets it free near side, clear to the line, not out, held in by Oshie. Left circle for Strong, drops to Ovechkin in front for Oshie, tip, they score! Alex Ovechkin! Finally for Pedersen across the capital line, drops for Hoaglander, cutting to the goal, backhand, he scores! What a goal by Niels Hoaglander! as he goes backhand shelf short side on Darcy Kemper. With instant reaction from the players and coaches. Patterson skating to center, 10 seconds left in overtime, into the Washington zone with a shot that was tipped wide to the net. McMichael takes it back to the corner, turns it over in the slot, Miller shoots, he scores! JT Miller wins it for the Canucks with 4.8 seconds left in overtime. And Vancouver takes a hard fought affair in DC, three. To two. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win an overtime thriller in Washington against the Capitals. Sensational performance between the pipes from Thatcher and Demko. Absolutely unreal sequences in the second period and in overtime, helping the Canucks win 3-2 in overtime, JT Miller getting the game-winning goal. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And as always, get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And what an absolutely... Uh, incredible finish to this game. Very entertaining. A lot of helter-skelter back and forth. And we're going to bring Brett Festerling into the conversation in just a moment. But, Bick, I think the story here, as much as the Canucks came out to win this, is the sensational play of Thatcher Demko between the pipes. 35, man. That is incredible. Uh, we, we said in the second intermission, if, if they managed to get a point out of this, mm-hmm. hey, credit to him. He made big saves in each of the periods. And then you get to OT, and if they manage to get to two points, it's because of Thatcher Demko, and that's what they do. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable by Thatcher Demko. The glove save there in OT gives him a chance, and you know he, he was massive. It, he's probably the biggest reason that they won this game. Yeah, I, I would say so. And, I mean, you know, it was one of those games where the Canucks were pretty handily outchanced in this game, mm-hmm. I'd say overall by the Washington Capitals. And the main reason why they were able to even get to overtime and win was Thatcher Demko. Let's bring in Brett Festerling into the conversation. Uh, is it fair to say Demko was a Canucks first star tonight? Or today, I should say, Brett? Yeah, easy, I think. The, the big stops in huge parts of the game, and then obviously OT, they don't have the chance to win it without him. So uh, he was phenomenal tonight in very important times. You, you wondered coming into yesterday of how they're going to play the back-to-backs, right? And which one does the Smith get? Which one does Demko get? And it plays out this way, and you get Demko with, with a fantastic uh, performance today. Uh, did, did you ever have, like, a, a theory or philosophy of which one you wanted to see? Like, the, the, the starter get the first one and the backup get the second one? I mean, I was always under the impression when I played that your backup would get me, get the lesser team. Right. Maybe like I would have thought as a player, maybe to Smith would go to Dave. Just Washington be a little, little bit lesser of a team in, in on paper, I guess, than Detroit. But for whatever you know rhythm they got, whether it's alternating or trying to get an extra game or whatever it is, it worked. It worked for this matinee kind of back to back. 
Yeah, and you know, in terms of what we saw from the Canucks' top players, JT Miller gets the game-winning goal, and we were kind of talking about his game today, and you know, a bit of a mixed bag, which I think was pretty much par for the course for most of these players today. Like, w- would you chalk up a lot of kind of the helter skelter in the game to fatigue playing three games and four nights back to back on the road early games, or is that being a bit too kind? Yeah, no, a lot of it is that. A lot of it's that all-star break. A lot of those guys didn't have the same break or coming off all-star weekend, which is probably exhausting in itself. I've never been to it, but I'm guessing there's a lot of extracurricular in terms of media and appearances and probably with the guys, dinners plus games, that kind of thing. So you're coming off that into four games and three nights, matinees back-to-back, for sure that that – will fatigue physically and mentally. So I think that's part of it. And it all comes back. We hate to say it, but it comes back to the staples and all that stuff that Taka talks about. That's why he's trying to pound it in these guys' minds is that's what you want to rely on when you are physically fatigued and mentally fatigued. Is it getting too loose for you? We were just talking about it in the second intermission. And, you know, for me, like, look, there have been issues, of course, these last couple of games here. But it's not the same guys doing it. If it was... Okay, a bit contagious then perhaps, but if it was the same guy, repeated behavior, and you think, oh man, like this is a a big issue. Well, when it happens like this, given that we've we've talked about you know the staples as you just said, they've corrected them throughout the course of this season. That's why my level of concern, even though there's been issues these last three games, isn't too high. Yeah, I mean it, it's a little bit concerning, but then it's also talk. It said he hated to use the term learning lesson, but it is. You get to go through it, and then he gets to kind of, you know, enforce his mindset of why we do this and why we do it every day and why we try to pound it too is because this is what happens. And then he can follow that through with video of your back-to-back matinee games where there was turnovers. There was times when guys are doing blind passes into the slot or across the blue line or plays that they might not like. That's a teaching moment for him on video that correlates with everything he's trying to say. So, is it a little concerning and not what you want to see? Probably, but they were able to squeeze three of the four points out as well, so I'll give them the credit for that. And now if they clean it up and stick to those staples, they should be better off going through March and April and into playoffs. Yeah, we're certainly hoping that. And and there were a lot of good things. You know, It was kind of a mixed bag. I thought in the second period, the first 10, 15, 12, 10, 12 minutes of the second, they were really good, really clean with their game. The third, I thought, was pretty nondescript. Not a lot happening. You know, a little uh, back and forth there in the end before you got to overtime. But I thought overall, it was one of those kind of mixed bag performances. But the, the thing that matters the most for this Canucks squad is continuing to pick up victories and points. They're now 2-1-1 one, one on this road trip, which, you know, they haven't played their best hockey yet. They still find ways to pick up points, and they're one win away from having a 3-1-1 road trip. And if you can have these types of results, Brett, and you're not playing your best hockey, what does that say about the team? Yeah, exactly. If you look at the narrative we've talked about in the last four days and how they've played and, and you know, the egg they laid in Boston, and then if now they have an opportunity against Chicago, which should be a win, let's mm-hmm. be honest. That's a team they should win against. But, yeah, if you come out 3-1-1, one, and one, and the narrative in the last week has been they haven't had the best and the top six hasn't showed up and the PP's not playing as well and we're and we're juggling three of the four lines, that's three one and one's pretty good. So, um, you know, take a grain of salt with it. I'm sure they'll want to improve everything 
or a lot of, of things they've done in the last two days, but they also did get the points when they needed it. So credit to them for that. I was just joking with someone in the hallways from one of our uh, our other stations here. They're like, ah, oh, you know, are they ever going to win on the road? And I was like, it, it, it kind of just feels like the Boston game because there was so much emotion going into that game, and yeah. they, they they laid the egg, right? And it's it's that yep. game, but they're two one on one on this road trip, and it's like had had they gone one and two, but they won the Boston one, and the other two games were bad. I feel like the the temperature would be so much lower. You know, look, you can't lose play- to the Bruins, man. Yeah, for sure. Look, like you've been a player, and like I imagine you're listening to some of the commentary at times, thinking like they're one 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 going into this game today, guys. Like like what's the big concern here? Yeah, I, that's the thing. Boston was so hyped up before, and even us, we were we're off mic. We we're talking about how this is going to be an intense game, and mm-hmm. it's so exciting, and one versus two, and and set a tone going forward in the playoffs, and then it just wasn't that at all. So, yeah, I think you're right. It, it's you. They want to improve. They know they want to improve. Um, you know, you have Friedman in today, which is great that mm-hmm. I think he got in. They played well, him and Juleson together. There's a lot of positives in there amongst the kind of negatives. So I think they have a lot they can work on, but it's still an impressive road trip for, for what they're coming out with. Yeah, Picking up points, right, any way you can, and that's what they're doing right now. And I did want to sp- spend a little bit of time on a couple of players here, at least a couple of lines. And for as we, we'll get to Pedersen and Hoaglander in a second, a great goal by Niels Hoaglander. But that third line, yet again, jo- Dakota Joshua, Teddy Bluger, uh, and Connor Garland, they were buzzing all day again. And I know maybe there's like every line they had some moments, but what is it about that line and the way they just continue trucking along? I mean, they've they've been the Canucks' most consistent line now for well over a couple months. Yeah, they seem to work well or stay close in terms of their forecheck. It's like chipping down walls, and then you got Joshua getting into a body, and then he's chipping it, and then Garland's getting into a body, and then Garland gets it back. He's pretty incredible how he comes out of some of these piles with pucks how his tenacity or peskiness or whatever you want to call it but they just have an ability to one get that cycle grind game going i think more than the other lines but then they get it to the net they attack more than the other lines do as well you see a lot of plays tonight where josh one's feeding garland in the middle going to the net or um, bluger or anything they seem to attack that slot and get inside of the opposition more than um, any of the lines right now, really, for the Canucks. And they've done it consistently. So, I mean, hats off to them. I think they've been really good. And for sure, again, tonight, they they carried that play and were the most consistent line in the offensive zone. Uh, You mentioned Mark Friedman. Now, he ends up playing 11 minutes tonight, and it's been a long time since he played an NHL game, like going back to November. He got some run in the AHL. but just, just kind of jumping back in, like I, I thought he and Juleson, and Juleson, I mean, let's be real, like in October it was kind of concerning with Juleson, and now he, he looks like a completely different mm-hmm. guy. But that pairing, as you mentioned, contributed in, in a pretty good way. Yeah, they played really – I thought Juleson had a fantastic first yeah. period. He was physical. He made some really good passes up the middle or to outlets where with patience. And then him and Friedman together played really well. Friedman was physical. You saw him talking to Tom Wilson early in the game. He made some good plays. Like Friedman's never going to make incredible sauce passes, you know, through multiple guys, but he's very solid for what he does. And I think him and Juleson being able to play together and relied on is nice. From my personal experience, sometimes it is. Not, I played with um, Sheldon Brookbank. I don't know if you guys remember that name. Mm-hmm. He was assistant coach in yeah. Chicago for a bit. Mm-hmm. But what was nice about getting paired with a guy more on your level is you're not, if Juleson's 
paired with Hughes, a lot of your game is geared towards helping Hughes or trying to do stuff for Hughes. So when you get paired with a guy more on Friedman's, they can just play together a bit. Does that make sense? Play yeah. more his it, game, It right? frees like your mind a bit to just kind of focus on your own game and play, right. and you can build some confidence with that of just working with a guy and talking. And you're, you, those two guys are probably the two guys after after practices skating together in the you know workout, in the hotels, probably having meals together because they're in the same position, same type of um, not only defense but just in a depth depth role so for those guys to be able to work together and work well together i think it's good it'll bring confidence to both their games uh, final one here before we let you go uh niels hoaglander scored an incredible goal with elias Pettersson, and that duel offensively now a couple of games they really got going here on that play i just wanted to get your thoughts on you know i, I kind of joke and, and talk about how that's kind of a soccer play where you play the overlap and you drop it off and he comes across what's so hard to defend when you get a guy going across like that the way hoaglander did with Pettersson? Well, for the D-man, you're switching. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a call with your partner to who's going to take who. Because usually if the D-man has on, on PD, if you have kind of half a stick on him, he'll stay and then the other D will f- kind of fold underneath and then take Hoaglander coming across. But if you can't jump that, then you're switching. And then that kind of sucks your speed out, especially guy with Hoaglander who's so dynamic in that. You see that he just picks up that speed makes that move to the backhand and then looks like he's going to, I mean, what, what a finish. He looks like mm-hmm. he's going to pull it back and across the crease. Right. And that just puts Kemper down on the ice and then he goes upstairs. So he showed that he's had that dynamic offensive ability with that line, which has added a nice tool. So I think if they can get that, I think there is a little bit of chemistry there. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but mm-hmm. between Petey and Hoaglander, they, they have had some moments in the last, couple games here that that have looked really good on the offensive side. Those two clearly combining, I still worry about Suter's speed, and we were kind of talking about during the second period uh, here amongst us that maybe if Mikheyev went back there, because at some point that's going to happen, um, yeah. he, he goes back in the top six, that if, if there's a skilled player there with Hoaglander, uh, with Pedersen, does Mikheyev bring that bit more speed, and mm-hmm. you still get that, def- that, that strong defensive play from Mikheyev? Is that a more natural line that maybe gets some run here? Maybe. I think the one thing I've noticed a lot for the top two lines compared to the third line here is what we were talking about, how Garland and Joshua and Bluger are able to get on top of opposing players quicker. Mm-hmm. The, it doesn't seem like the top six are getting multiple guys on a, on kind of D-men quick in right. sequence, like one, two, into bodies, turning it over. It seems like it's into the first guy and then it goes over to the second guy and then we're 10 feet off and it gives just time for that play to get broken out. So yeah, maybe some speed down the wall just to get that those turnovers with Hoaglander especially too. You get more of that one-two. We saw that, you know, early with PDG and, and Miller kind of kind of vibe where they just get two guys going hard and get turn that puck over, and then you have a PD in the slot would be nice. So I, I don't know. I I don't disagree with you, but we'll, I'm sure we'll see it coming up sometime soon. Hey, Brett, great stuff as always. Do you have a Super Bowl prediction? Are you going to watch oh, yeah. the game? What's going on? I mean, I'm more of an underdog. I don't know what to do. I feel like everybody's going Chiefs, so I just right. want to go Niners to go against Chiefs the Chiefs are the underdog, the Vegas underdog. Technically, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I guess, but just everything I see is all Chiefs because of the Swift effect. So I just feel like I want to go Niners because of it. I love it. Hey, Brett, great stuff calling the games this weekend, man. You know, welcome back on these airwaves if you're picking the Niners. I know Bix, wait, like, Bix, I'm Bix. not, I don't have really don't, that horse in the game here. I'm not, I, like, I'm not committed to don't that. Don't let Bix bully you on this. He's just a Seahawks fan crying about the Niners. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, it's funny stuff. <laughs> I want a good game. There I want we just go. an entertaining go. game. Everybody that's, wins that, when that's you a, have a good game. That's a cop-out. Actually, erase that. Yeah. That's a cop-out. Break out the orange slices. Everyone has a good game. Let's go going to have a big one. Listen, hockey players, they know how to say to save cliches or once in a while. You know what I mean? Hey, Brett, man, fantastic stuff as always. Great, Great work this weekend. Thank you. Have a good one. Uh, you got it. That is Brett Festerling calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor uh, this weekend. And uh, a couple of entertaining games. Both games go to overtime. The lose yesterday, win yeah. today, coming away with three out of four points. And, you know, the prevailing kind of sentiment on the test inbox is kind of like about managing your losses. Mm-hmm. Trucker James says it's all about managing your losses when you're not playing your best, squeezing out points. That's what the best teams in the league do. Absolutely. And I give them credit for it. To be honest, I didn't love their game today. Like, I didn't love how they played. Give them credit for how they got mm-hmm. the points. I mean, they were heavily outchanced. You know, the outshot thing, I don't care about. But if you go by the high danger chances, it was significantly, I would say, in in uh, the Washington Capitals' favor. And that's why we come back to Thatcher Demko being the best player on the, on the ice for the Canucks. And you don't need to apologize for having great goaltending. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those afternoons. Yeah, and like rebound chances, you know, the net jams. Yeah. He, he did it all. Uh, and then obviously the, the, the overtime one on top of it all. So, you know, it, it, it's... You know, we, we've heard like how it changes how you mm-hmm. want to play a little bit, that, that you can be a bit more risk-taking. The thing that the, the Canucks have done so far this year that's been magnificent is they haven't you know engineered a style of play that is just two-on-one, two-on-one, which Statue Demko like, has thrived in in the past of making big saves. And I, I think sometimes we get lost in this idea that, oh, he's not playing well because he's not making the sliding across the crease glove Desperation saves. saves. Yeah. Well, because the Canucks haven't had to – haven't put him in, in, in many in the Canucks haven't put him in a lot of situations that have forced him to do that this season. And you know, we, we look at that and say, like, oh, that's great goaltending. And look, you make the save and it's it's highlight real stuff. It's fantastic. I get it. But like good goaltending is winning early. Like good goaltending is winning with your feet, being mm-hmm. ahead of the play, yeah. tracking with your eyes and making difficult or difficult saves look routine. And Thatcher Demko does that a lot. Mm-hmm. That the boring saves, like he, he's almost Queen Hughes, like in that way, where Queen Hughes does something so special that over the course of seven years we've been watching it, it's like ah, oh, whatever, no big deal. It's like it's it's shrugged off. And Thatcher Demko is kind of at that stage where he he makes just a a save where it hits the crest, and you look if you probably watch it, it's like he goes from goal line to the top mm-hmm. of the crease, shuffles across, and he sucks in a chance, and there's no rebound. That to me is like it's still good goaltending, and and he's made that he's he's normalized that. And a night like tonight or today, where he's making these sliding saves and yeah. crease jams, you really get to highlight that Demko. But you're right; it's like you don't apologize for good goaltending. It just at times it gets lost in the shuffle that the, the normal saves just don't feel special when, when they really they are. Yeah, I mean, when he's at his best and the team is defending well, he makes it look easy, right? And today he had to be in more desperation mode and he came up in a massive, massive way. Pavon says, Canucks haven't played well in these early games, but three points in the in the two early back-to-back games is good for the confidence. Let's go. Well, uh, look, they got four points, uh, sorry, five points so far on this road trip. So yeah. it's a successful road trip. They can really punctuate it uh, with a game against Chicago. They got 31 points on the year. Yeah, I mean... 31! Will the Chicago Blackhawks get more shots than they have points tomorrow or on Tuesday? Man, uh, I would 
say yes. <laughs> I'd say perhaps yes. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's a 500 road trip. Yeah. Come away with a good it, road trip with it's, a big it's very, re- very reminiscent of the Philly-Tampa uh, early road trip, yeah. and then they have success against Florida. Go finish it off with the, the Nashville road trip. Uh, obviously, Thatcher Demko getting a lot of love. Brandon and Poco. Thatcher Demko tied Dan Kluche with his 109th win. Mm-hmm. Now Demko needs to let a goal in from center ice like Kluche as well. <laughs> That's Brandon and Poco. People don't forget, you know? So like, like People don't forget. Super bad, right? Super bad. People don't forget. Yeah. They don't. Um, this cold. one here, Brendan and Nanaimo. <laughs> I want to see Hogs on the power play and in OT. There's a reason he leads the team in 5-on-5 scoring. He deserves more ice time in my mind. And it's hard to be critical of Niels Hoaglander the last couple of games. Yeah, defensively, we mentioned yesterday how both Pedersen and Hoaglander had a couple of moments, and the coach referenced that line being a wash because they had good and bad moments. But in terms of the production and how he played today and him and Pedersen, the chemistry they had, I mean, for those that have been making the case, put Hoaglander with Pedersen, and I've resisted it somewhat. Mm-hmm. And right now it's coming up big. It's coming up big. They produce. Right, yeah. it's it's the thing that keeps you in the top six. Produce. Uh, was there a mistake yesterday? Sure, but now you you, you scored a goal yesterday, scored another one today. It, it's going to keep you in the lineup, and it, more importantly, keep you in the spot in mm-hmm. the lineup. So Hoaglander for me is probably looking at another you know what five six games here for certain uh, in the top six because goals in two in a row. I'd like to see this go all the way to uh, the the end of that Seattle road trip. So if he's there till. Mid-February, that's what should be happening right here. And, and maybe it's Mikheyev that, that jumps up there. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see if ultimately that happens or not. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, Dunbar Lumber, 650-650. We'll hit more of your thoughts as the show goes on here. I'll do this one, though. Silver and Black Canuck. I'm so disappointed because siding with the Chiefs. <laughs> well, I mean, you hate the Niners, that's why. Well, no, I, no, no I, well, yeah, but I, I, I picked the Chiefs. I, I thought I wrestled about it all week. I, I picked the Chiefs. You pick the Chiefs. All right. Uh, we'll get to more of your text messages. <laughs> He's as a, a Raiders fan. That's why. <laughs> I know. Same division and all. All right. We'll get back to more of your text messages. Let's go to the phone board. 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. Uh, let's start things off uh, by going to Taylor on the phone line in Victoria. Taylor, thanks for calling in. What are your thoughts after the Canucks 3-2 overtime win today? Well, obviously, I'm excited and happy to talk about the only uh, important game happening in all of sports today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a great finish. Uh, no, I just want to talk about um, the Canucks, how they just traded Kuzmenko because they're boasting this new standard. And uh, Kuzi essentially just made too many mistakes. And that's, you know, essentially why he got traded. But I just want to know where's the standard been with Tyler Myers? And I know there's been a lot of love for Tyler Myers this season, but I just keep seeing the same things kind of over and over again. Like mm-hmm. in the defensive zone, he'll crumble, crumble under like minimal pressure and give the puck away. Or in the offensive zone, he'll kind of panic and take a shot that's clearly going to get blocked. And it just seems like he's the reason that the Canucks stop sustaining pressure after a little while. But, you know, the most, the most disappointing thing is like he gets pushed around by people smaller than him constantly and I don't think I've actually ever seen him win a fight but uh, I know he's been playing better this year uh, but I trust that the Canucks management aren't naive enough to realize that this is a contract year for Meyer so obviously he's going to play better but the only thing I want to say is beware of the Myers contract year that's all I'm going to say I'll hang up and 
what you guys have to say. Hey, hey, Taylor, thanks for the phone call, man. Uh, Good thoughts. And it's fair. I think, you know, with Tyler Myers, I think part of us, you know, been watching the season and going, you know what, it's it's been five tough years. Finally, he's kind of fitting in Mm -hmm. in a role that makes sense and for the most part has had a solid season. You could end on a high note. Like, I totally understand that, Mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, it comes down to what other options are available to you. And the other thing to factor in, it's very hard to address the right side of your defense. So now, it's, it's, is, is so it I think, easier now? We've had this conversation back in December. We had it fairly recently in January where, you know, I was kind of saying it's like it, it, he, he gives you a a, a, a low floor. Mm-hmm. He And this is the best season Tyler Myers has had. And it's been extremely productive. And he's provided a lot of highs this year, too. And we were talking yeah. yesterday on the PK. You know, Brett was just mentioning like he likes Myers on that PK because of the length. And there are elements where Tyler Myers has absolutely had success this year. That cannot be denied. And it's like real functional play. I think he's like 25th in right-handed D scoring as well. I, I'll bring that number up here in a second. But he, he's been productive with 19 points. But this is about what translates to the playoffs. And the fact that the, the low games do arrive sometimes, okay? Mm-hmm. They've been minimized significantly this year. But they do arrive. That that stability to me is is what I value the most in in the depth D men. How many bad Ian Cole games have we had? A couple bad sequences, not many bad games. Like total games, right? Not very. I can't many. think of too many. Carson Soucy, outside of like the first couple of games where he's coming back from injury, not very many, if if any. And so this is where like my concern is. And the opportunity when we've discussed trades is about finances, right? It's it's not that he's not having a good season. It's that if you were to move, if he if he's your death D man, that should be like a two and a half million dollar, three million dollar player. Well, there's three million dollars. What can you do with that mm-hmm. in the trade market? And having those conversations in December is a lot different than having them late February because now it, things are more defined. These right-handed demon that are so coveted that are impossible to find are they more available because now teams are looking at the standing and saying, you know what, we have to be a seller. Mm-hmm. And and does it change the, the dynamics of the trade market? Yeah, and I think that's that's a part of it too, right? You're right. It's like, what does a trade market look like? I'm all for doing something different. Mm-hmm. The question is how many options are going to be available for you to address your right side of it, your blue it, line? It's just cause, because there's a dropout. Like, there's so, a like, positional, there you, is a positional scarcity. Yeah, but, but yeah, well, that. But because with Myers, like again, he's been good this year. But that fear just exists. Of... Well, I know you've had this fear for. A while. I-, I would say, but uh, it, it, it's not an unsubstantiated. No, no, fear. it's not. It's I would real. say though, what we when we saw him I mean, now, it's been a long time since we saw him in the playoffs. It was you know the bubble playoffs in the previous years. Anytime with yep. the Jets, like, I think he's been at his best come the playoff time. So I'm not quite as concerned. He helped with shut you. down Alex Tuck. Yeah. So, but I I get the hesitation. But on do the you want to stake the claim or the playoff hopes on like, hey, it's. I feel comfortable with this. The The question is, by the playoffs, what better options are you going to actually have available to you? Like, it, it sounds mm-hmm. fine. Like, if you can, like, you know, I know people like, move on from Chris Tanev. Like, if you yeah. could find a way to move him out and bring Tanev in, sure. Yeah. We'll see if they actually do something along those lines. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. Uh, this one here, Ryan and Black Creek says, I believe, Black Creek, I believe this team can go the whole season without losing three in a row. They've only had two games mm-hmm. losses, two back to back losses. The, butt. the most they've had so far. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. 
It's what good teams do. Like we always say that. Now, someone texted in yesterday. If you're like, how how often does a, a Stanley Cup winner lose three games in a row? Well, Vegas did it last year. Colorado did the year before. And one, I think the point that somebody else also made was, does anybody win without having some level of adversity, some mm-hmm. level of losing streaks, right? And I think usually, like even the Canucks in 2011. Now they did not win the Stanley Cup, of course, but they had a few four. They had a couple. I think they had a four game losing streak. Had a three game losing streak. So those things do happen. So far, it has not happened to the Vancouver Canucks. Let's take one more phone call before we hit the break and let's go to new west where we have sean on the line sean buddy what's going on what are your thoughts today thanks for taking my call boys uh great win uh you know that capitals team yesterday if you watch the game they absolutely dominated the boston bruins in td garden and absolutely throttled them and beat them three nothing so they were kind of riding on high and you know it was kind of no advantage for any team because both teams were you know played last yesterday right so for the Canucks to get a big win in Washington, because Washington played pretty pretty good today, I thought. Mm-hmm. They had like you know a lot of chances, even though they didn't finish a lot of them. Um, so it's a big two points going into Chicago. And like you said, sad earlier, they have, Canucks haven't played really their best, but they're still picking up points, right? And they got yeah. a big win and you know extended their lead in the Pacific Division to eight points and three, three points over the Bruins for first overall. Um, but, you know, before I let you guys go... Super Bowl today, big game, obviously. And mm-hmm. that when you're watching the game today, I want you to close your eyes when the, you know all the teams are coming out, and I want you to think what it would be like if the Cleveland Browns are in this game <laughs> next year. Just think and dream. That's what it could be like if you see your beloved Cleveland Browns in this game. And I'll hang up and listen, and go Canucks, go. Uh, hey, uh, thanks for the phone call, Sean. Yeah, I, I've I've dreamed one too many nights yeah. about the Cleveland Browns getting that far, and I've thought about it once or twice during the Super Bowl in the past, and I'm sure that thought's going to flash across my mind at some point. But yeah, appreciate the kind words. Dream that way, Sean. If you're a Canucks fan, dream that way for the Canucks. Dream. How about that way? Yeah. Uh, somebody else texted in and said, you guys need to tell people to not live so vicariously through the Vancouver Canucks and, and go and smell the air and do other things and said he's going to go walk his dog and go watch his final later. You can do both. So you can do whatever you want. You can simultaneously <laughs> smell the flowers, touch grass, and enjoy watching Canucks hockey. Wait, wait. Every 82 games. Are you saying, Bic, and stop me if I'm getting ahead of myself, that you can do multiple things at the same time and multiple <laughs> things can be true at the same time? Wow. Yes, I yes. am. I, for one, am shocked. Uh, this text, if Myers is a chaos giraffe, of late has PD been the chaos llama in OT? <laughs> That's, I don't even get it, but jokes for 60. I, I don't know. I don't know. But we'll What animal is PD? 650, 650. <laughs> yeah, and, and I like the way uh, Patterson and Hoaglander played today with the chemistry they showed. All right. We'll break that down more on the other side. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. It's Satin Bick, and this is the Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange. So the game is over, but is your day really done? The number 5 is open. More coming up next on the Home Your Canuck, Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hughes, right wing for Patterson, skating to center. Ten seconds left in overtime. Into the Washington zone with a shot that was tipped wide of the net. McMichael takes it back to the corner, turns it over in the slot. Miller shoots. He scores! JT Miller wins it for the Canucks with 4.8 seconds left in overtime. And Vancouver takes a hard-fought affair in D.C. 3-2. to two. 
not how you write it up. McMichael has the turnover right to Miller in the slot, and he goes high glove on Kemper, or high blocker, excuse me, on Kemper. You'll take it. You don't ask how. You ask how many. So you'll take the two points. Miller takes advantage of his opportunity. We said you got to just take advantage as it comes. Don't force it. You're in the right spot. You get the turnover, and he buries it. Nice shot. Canucks win 3-2 in overtime. JT Miller with the game-winning goal. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And as always, keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab the phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And, you know, JT Miller gets the game-winning goal. And I think JT and, and Lindholm, they've been trying to build some chemistry the last couple of games. It's been very up and down, yeah. I think is a nice way of putting it. But, hey, all that matters is what the uh, scoreline says at the end of it. And JT gets a game-winning goal in overtime, of course. But in terms of how that line played, Bick, we're trying to figure out, okay, Elias Lindholm, how is he going to fit in with the team? He's moved to center now. JT's gone to the wing with Brock Besser being on the other wing. And it's still very much a work in progress. They had some good moments, but mm-hmm. they also spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to do defensively in their own zone. Yeah, it, it just looks clunky. Yeah. Right? And, you know, the, the thing about Lindholm in the first game against Carolina, goals notwithstanding, there was just a lot of useful plays where, you know, he's winning puck battles along the wall, just subtle plays that yeah. are effective in helping your line mates. And these last few, and especially these last two with, with the Miller and Besser line, you haven't really noticed that as much. And is patrolling more of the middle. It, it just looks a little off with that fit. Mm-hmm. And you, we were talking yesterday, the speed element is there, and Brett was just mentioning like they're not really getting on top of D yeah. in the offensive zone. So the, the, the lack of speed as the game starts to pick up here is – it's becoming more evident, I think. Yeah, and you know, you were mentioning you play, kind of playing on back-to-backs too. Yeah. Does that factor into it a little bit? And I mentioned this the other day, and this remains true today as well. When a new player comes in, sometimes they'll score like he did in the first game, and the first reaction you have is, "Man, he's got instant chemistry. It's working." And it's like, "Well, you got to give it some time because it takes a little bit of, you know, uh, it takes reps for you to really figure out what your teammates are like, mm-hmm. how to play, and everything." So it's very much a work in progress. But that's going to be something that we're keeping an eye on. How do they integrate Elias Lindholm? And what's the combination in top six going to look like with both lines hopefully being able to go at the same time? And right now, we're still waiting for that to come together ever since they've acquired Lindholm. Uh, 650-650. I I should have known uh, if I asked for animal uh, comps for uh, Elias Pedersen. Uh, A lot of Bambi texts coming in. But we see you working. We're just going to... Uniform credit, everyone that's texted that in. Thank you for the text, 650, 650. Traditional Souk wants to text in, though, that so for all the Patterson haters, Patterson's forechecking caused the turnover for the OT winner. Uh, he's got four even-strength points in the last three games, uh, last two games. Uh, yeah, so the, the OT forecheck there today, handful of seconds left. Go be aggressive. Yesterday, there's four and a half minutes to go. And then you're in the, the other end, too, right? Like, yeah. you're not, you know, you're in the other end and you... He gets the puck over and JT yeah. Miller finishes it off. That situation, there yeah. isn't enough time for the other team to go the other way. Yeah. So great moment there for him to jump into it and and force that turnover and a bad play. Uh, all right. Uh, we were mentioning Tyler Myers. I brought this up here. So he's got 19 points in the air, which is good for 22nd mm. among right-handed D-men. 
So again, like he, the the the, the production is there for Tyler Myers. Twenty second amongst right-handed demon, and just, every team every team yeah. aspires to having three right-handed yeah. demon. There are thirty-two teams. Uh, let me see. Maybe I carry on. So it was that's ninety ninety-six right-hand defenseman. <laughs> it's supposed to be ninety-six uh, yeah. right-hand like defenseman. Seth Jones, ideally, Seth Jones got moved starting. off power play one in yeah. Chicago, and he's got sixteen points. On the year, and we've had the, and he's making a lot of money. Well, I mean, I don't want to go back uh, old ground, cover old ground yet again. But last year, we had a lot of these discussions when mm-hmm. the Canucks acquired Philip Peronik, and some of the discussion was why would the Canucks make this trade today, and why not wait for mm-hmm. it? And part of it is, if a right-hand defenseman becomes available that you think is a top four player, you have a chance to get him. You have to go out and get him. Like they, they're just not available, and the ones that are usually get overpaid. And usually you're asking more of them than they're able to provide if you don't get a guy that's bonafide top six type of top four type of defense. I just want to read a couple more texts on Myers. Uh, Al from Nelson, more piling on Myers. Why am I not surprised? I swear sometimes I think close to 90% of the people that are avid hockey fans uh, never played a minute of hockey in their lives. Defending in the NHL, super high difficulty, high risk venture every game. You put a microscope on most of the top defenders in the league. You're going to see them coughing up the puck and making poor plays here and there all the time. Our top UFA makes three or four more mistakes than Myers every game, and we're ready to sign him for twelve million bucks a year for eternity. In reference to Elias Pettersson, he's a restricted free agent. Uh, but also this one, Myers' issue unsigned here. Myers' issues are when he's pushed up the depth chart. He has played well as a five sixty man. The thing is, even strength, Tom and Ice, he's third. Yeah, right. So like he's on this team, but he's, it, he's going to get a lot of minutes right now. Like he, th- this isn't a new phenomenon. No, he's but higher up in the lineup, a lot of the minutes do go to um, Hughes and Hironix. Mm-hmm. So there's less to go for some of the other players, but yeah, on this team, he's playing top four minutes. However, you slice it. But if you look at it in terms of overall usage, it's more in line with maybe somebody who you view as a as a third pair of defenseman that gets moved out like he's not playing 20 plus minutes a night his, well but, it's 1906 but you're, you're yeah sure. i mean he was playing like 21 22 minutes a game like you know bringing a guy down two three yeah. four minutes a game is pretty significant his optimal spot again when he was at his best with carson Susi, cole was there uh with juleson like, mm-hmm. that's when it was at its best uh but carson Susi's not healthy no he's and not so tyler myers is in the spot where he's got to play Third highest most minutes. But as a coach mentioned, he's been skating back in Vancouver, mm-hmm. so hopefully his return is not too far around the corner. Uh, Dan and Surrey chimes in and says, doesn't matter how good you are, there's always room for improvement, like your broadcast, for example. Sat, as long as you stop beginning sentences with, I mean, you'll improve too. I have faith. Go Canucks. Go 650 broadcast, Dan and Surrey. Hey, fair critique. Very fair critique. We're, we're, we're here for the accountability as I, well. I will say, I mean, you know, I mean, here you go again. <laughs> There are there are crutches sometimes we develop to buy time for the next thought or the next text message. And and Dan is right. I can be cleaner. I can try to remove some of these you know time buying utterances that don't oh, mean I anything. I can't believe that happened. It happened. In now it's in my head. Time. Do my best. We've been, we've been challenged. This guy's shook. <laughs> uh, Jake from Trail says, "I love PD, but Pedersen is Bambi on ice." Dude yeah. can't stop falling. Is what you Lo- mentioned. Before. Lots of uh, those texts coming in. I, I I should have predicted that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Now Trucker James has a different take on it. PD is a panther, stealthy, intuitive, and fierce. Only has only he's still a young cub who's still developing his strength. Trucker James understood <laughs> the game. He understood the game. Well done. First star text right there. No, uh, good. He figured out the assi- he understood the assignment very yeah. well. David from Kelowna says, "I'm impressed with the win today." 
through the game, thought the game was harder on the nerves. Five of eight points so far in this trip are not bad. Mm-hmm. They're starting to create a gap at the stop, top of the standings. Wish fans were not so quick to be negative. Even when looking bad, they're still doing well, just like Petey. And look, to be fair, to extend a bit of an olive branch to to the fans that have been critical, as you mentioned, Sat, like the standard is raised. Right? Yes. When, when you're in first place, people expect a certain outcome every single game and a certain effort every single game. It's not game seven of the third round or something like that. It's it's game 53, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, you're working your way through this. So the, that to me is where I, I push back a little. It's like if you want them to play like game seven intensity now, what's it going to look like game one of the playoffs? Right. It, it, it's going to be a bit concerning then. But I understand why the, the trepidation of like it has to look like this. It has to look like this. I just think it's far-fetched. Yeah. However, like we mentioned, it hasn't been the cleanest this road trip. They're still finding ways to pick up points. They're trying to integrate a new player, a significant mm-hmm. player into the lineup as well. I don't think we've seen the best version of this team yet. We've seen a lot of great versions. We've seen some nice peaks, but I think the peaks can be extended. You know, and that, that's kind of what I'm really impressed by with this team is they find ways to get better as the season goes on. And I don't think we've seen their best version yet. And I think that's the their final hope form. now for the final 30 games mm-hmm. of the season. Do you really hone in on what you are and excel what you are, especially having a guy like Lindholm uh, as part of your team? Uh, Pace Beat says, job is not done. It certainly isn't, but a great start mm-hmm. to the season. Not a great start. Great for the Canucks sitting where they are in the standings. 53 games through the season so far. All right, we'll get back to more of your reaction on the text inbox, the phone line, and all that. But before we do that, let's get the thoughts of the Canucks head coach. Here is Rick Tockett after a 3-2 win in Washington. Try to make sure you get above people, things like that. Um, and obviously we were above and Millsy scored the goal. What do you like about the overall effort? Well, it's just a mucky game. You're gonna have these games in an 82 game schedule. You know, it's a uh, thought. Some guys retired, which that means you have to play smart. I and mean, we we turned the puck over a few times halfway through the game. I thought we were a little bit better as the game went on. But some games you got to play when you don't have your legs, and you got to play smart. How about the penalty kill at the end of the second, Rick? Especially uh, Thatcher. Yeah, Thatcher was uh, played really well for us, and the penalty kill in general. Uh, you know, I know uh, Detroit got the one yesterday with four seconds off. I, I think the penalty kill has been good, really good for us. I made a point yesterday about a couple of things that Hoaglander could have done better. How did you think he responded today in that line was today? I thought he was really good. I I don't, I don't know. He only got 11, 12. I don't know how. I thought he played him, but uh, I thought Hoggy was dog on the bone. You know, that, these games when, um, you know, some guys are tired, you could tell for whatever reason. Guys like Hoggy shine because he's a motor. I thought Garland and him were our best players. They were Garland was excellent tonight. So um, you know, give them, those two guys a lot of credit tonight. Adding Elias Lindholm, obviously middle of the season. How four games in? Like how difficult is it to kind of jump up and move, move and train for a guy like that and kind of fit into the, to the team? Oh, you just play your. You know, our, we just play our game and he fits in. You know, uh, it'll he'll start getting more comfortable as a, as a, as the year goes on. Freeman hadn't played since November the 30th. Difficult spot to be in, but how did he fare? Yeah, I thought Freeze did a nice job. You, you know, if you look after the game, like, you know, he did a solid job for us. You know, for a guy that doesn't play a lot, I mean, hasn't played in 10, 12, or 20 games, wanted to go to Abbotsford to get some games, and I give a lot of credit. You know, I, I, have, I think Footy had him out there with three, four minutes left, so um, that shows confidence that, uh, you know, he can play. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett 
after a 3-2 overtime victory in Washington against the Capitals. Quick one. Uh, and yeah, uh, not. I mean, I think they're all trying to go watch the Super Bowl mm-hmm. coming a little bit later on uh, this afternoon, so they're all excited to sit down and they maybe have some beverages and everything. Uh, he gave Niels Hoaglander quite a bit of praise. One of the things, yeah. remember... Deservedly so. Absolutely. Remember when he first came in, or I'd say earlier this year, and he was asked about Hoaglander, and he said, well, I've heard he's a buzzsaw, mm-hmm. but I've yet to see it. He says, dog on a bone. Very similar type of, you know descriptor of the the play that you want to see with a buzzsaw type player. More of like a wolf wolf instead of a <laughs> <laughs> And the way he played today in the last couple of games, I don't know what that was, but I'm just going to move <laughs> on. But given how he's played the last couple of games, how he's winning pucks and his aggressiveness, the way he's moving his feet, like he's, he was tremendous again today offensively. Yeah, and and the, the chemistry obviously that they show on that goal uh, is massive and just how quick he was. Uh it's similar to the goal yesterday of, of being the outlet for Hughes as well in that play. Get it to Patterson, do the little slingshot there, and uh, they, they combine perfectly to to get that goal. And, and so this is the thing for Nils Hoaglander: sixteen goals now in the year, five assists. You know, the the, the production to me is going to be the important thing. We, we talked about the mistake yesterday on on the Rasmussen goal, but it, it's offset because he did provide a goal, right? If you're producing. It'll keep you in that top six uh, unless the mistakes start to overwhelm. But you just look at someone that, that we've talked about here the past couple of months, Andre Kuzmenko, right? The production waned. It's it's a high demand to be in that top six because you have to produce. In the first intermission, we thought, all right, bottom six did their job. Goaltending's done their job. The top six has to wake up. Hoaglander's there to uh, provide a goal in the second period. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joshua has this question. If you had to vote today for the unsung hero for the Canucks, who would it be? Hoagie, Garland, or Joshua? Or no, this Tyler text again saying that. Well, it can't be Garland. He's getting sung too much? No, it's like he's like a prominent member of the like. The, Is it Joshua the, the, the then? Money. It's, it's probably Joshua. Joshua or Juleson? Oh, it, it would have been PDG. Actually, I, I guess we sang PDG quite a we bit. Have, we have sung his praise. But I'm, he was, he was go, out of the lineup. I'm going to go with Joshua. And and I and I hear what you're saying with, with Noah Juleson because Noah Juleson has stepped in and yeah. has been fantastic lately. He's but found he, money. like Absolutely. But he's also missed a chunk of the season. Yeah. And not by his own doing, being healthy scratch, whereas Dakota Joshua has played in every game but one. Mm-hmm. And he's been an integral part, not only of that line, but the PK, the Canucks PK has turned around in a mm-hmm. massive way, and it's not just him, but he plays a big part. Like he's one of their main penalty killers. I, I've been pitching this to you for for the last month here. Like, how important is Dakota Joshua as far as the unrestricted free agents go? So my only, cons- you're right. He he ranks up high. My only reticence when it comes to Dakota Joshua is he showed up to camp this year not quite in the shape they wanted him to be in. Mm-hmm. He was challenged. He was healthy scratched. But he succeed, succeeded in the challenge. His he next did. point is uh, career high. Absolutely. I get it. My only concern is do we see a regression next year where it's like you get a little you know comfortable, get fat and happy a little bit, you give him the contract. And that's my only hesitancy here is like are you giving him something where he's playing at a peak that he may not bring up again. That's my only concern about Dakota Joshua because the way he's playing, though, the play is speaking for itself. But but, but that's just it. It's like the, the the training camp thing gets mitigated for me because like yeah, real time reform for hundred percent for Dakota Joshua. I was, the thing that got me was considering the year he came off of mm-hmm. the opportunity in front of him of like if you show up and well he's have, doing it. Well he is, but if he's you showed up in training camp and. 
that that's my only concern because you know the thing is the reality though, is greater than your fear set. Fair enough, but the, the reality also is the league knows who you are, mm-hmm. and when no, the league knows who you are, if you're not continually getting better and pushing the envelope in the off season, they're going to catch up with you again. That's my only hesitancy on, on Dakota Joshua. But if you feel confident that he's going to put the work in and be the guy, then then yes, he ranks high on the list of players that you want to bring back. Because to your point, there are not enough players with a size combo mm-hmm. and even the skill combo, but also the usage on the PK. And not just playing the PK, like he's legitimately become a, a grade A penalty killer. Like it's really impressive watching him work on the PK. Yeah, incredible. And not as if he's like the, the second unit guy goes out there and just does mop-up duty. Yeah. It's he, He's out there with Luger, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're the primary guys. He's essentially taken Mikheyev's spot here while Mikheyev still works through his you know recovery process, which is kind of at the tail end of it. But it was a necessary item that someone needed to come out there. And he, he took away a spot on the on, on the, the roles for, from JT Miller and Elias Patterson because they were getting so much PK usage. Their 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 minutes getting limited is a big credit to to Dakota Joshua, mm-hmm. and at, at the very least, if this is the baseline, and he's you know again as I mentioned, career high in in, in points potentially coming up here. And once he crosses twenty four, he got a career high in goals. He's shooting eighteen point five percent. Last year he shot fifteen point five. He seems to have a really good shot. Like, so, he so, finishes at a yeah. high rate. So it's not like this aggressive like bender that he's on that he's like like Kuzmenko last year we were talking about 28.3 percent and mm-hmm. oh it's gonna regress like if, if this is what it is somewhere between 13 and 18 percent all right th- that's consistent the, the production matches the overall usage that he provides day in day out for sure uh and maybe as long as he doesn't do what this text says let's hope joshua doesn't train in bali as long as he <laughs> avoids that it should be just you fine know what People don't forget. <laughs> People do not forget. My uh, fans got long memories. As far as the unsung hero goes, this text says, unsung hero is Ian Cole, future broadcaster, so, so pump his tires now. Uh, the thing is, I think we do quite a bit. We have, yeah. <laughs> like we every, like talking to him, so we say good things yeah. about him. Every Ian <laughs> well, Cole interview, we're just like, all right, Ian Cole's here today. Yeah. Uh, this text, how did you guys think Ethan Bear played? I did not really notice him. I don't. I didn't notice him either. Too yeah, much. I, I, I noticed that I mean, one time it was turnstiled a little bit. Generally more focused on the Canucks than the Caps or the, the mm-hmm. opposition. But yeah, I didn't really notice Ethan Bear too much. Not too much. But n- not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. I, I noticed him one time in the defensive zone, not looking great. But uh, we'll see. Alan Abbey says, told you guys Hoggy with Pedersen works. Now put Mikheyev, uh, Lafferty, DiGiuseppe with those, those or Lindholm and let them cook Allen and Abbey. So, Allen and Abby called it, said Hogan is going to be there, and he has been, and he's played well, yeah, well at least the last couple of games. Yeah, he's he's earning his opportunity, and I, I think there should be a you know five, seven-game runway here to uh, give him an opportunity to maintain that opportunity. But the production is always going to be the thing that is is the focus. Yeah, absolutely. William Langley says, Talkett loves the animal analogies. Hoaglander is a dog on a bone, but Colton is a bull, and the Canucks' plan is you can't swallow a whole elephant in one bite. We need to take small bites that's every right. single day. That's very well played by William yeah, that's Langley. Right. People got the jokes today. It's great. Putting us in a good mood. Everyone's excited. Canucks win. You got a football game coming up a bit later today. Crushing chicken wings and nachos and mm. bevies. Chicken all, wings, all, all on the way. Chicken wings and pizza. Is that what we're doing tonight? Today? I don't know. Or maybe. We'll figure it out. Men- mention something. Uh, all right. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox. 650-650. Dunbar Lumber. You can also grab a phone line. 604-280-0650 or toll free. one 275 650 It's Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar. And this is the Canuck Central Post Game Show. Presented by the number five, Orange. If you can peel your eyes off the stage, they've got hockey, football, and more on the big screens. 
and more coming up next on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central postgame show. Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Passes back to center for Hughes. And the Canuck forwards will get a change with 115 left in overtime. Here's Hughes with speed. Left wing to the capital zone center. Pass for Besser. Tipped it on. And Kemper held it out. Oshie back the other way for Protus. It's a two-on-one for the Capitals. Alexi Protus, left wing, in front. Sandin is robbed by Demko. A tremendous save going from right to left. Holds it out. Now here's Besser back to the Capitals line. Thatcher Demko. Absolutely sensational between the pipes for your Vancouver Canucks as he backstops them to a 3-2 overtime victory in Washington against the Capitals. Canucks pick up three out of four points over the weekend. Not the cleanest hockey at times, but all that matters is the points you bank in the standings, and that's where the Canucks find themselves atop the National Hockey League standings this season. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show, presented by the number 5 Orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And as always, get your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And we have a lot of reaction on the text inbox, Bick, of course, a lot of different things. Having a lot of fun, too, and people are in a good mood. It's Sunday, the Canucks win, and you know uh, people are probably getting excited to uh, have their Super Bowl bashes mm-hmm. coming up in, in an hour and a half or so. However, some comments and questions, still some concerns. And, and one player that's been under the spotlight that's been magnified recently is Ilya Mikheyev. And the people, they have some comments and concerns about him. It's funny because when Lindholm hadn't arrived, it was Kuzmenko, obviously, that, that was under so much scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And then fresh new toy comes in, Lindholm's in, Mik- or Kuzmenko goes out, and suddenly the gaze just shifts towards Ilya Mikheyev. And, yeah, there's been some uh, commentary, especially as we were just talking about Joshua, and here he is succeeding in his PK role. That's Ilya Mikheyev's role. And uh, some people just coming in with uh, comments about what does it mean for the long-term stability for Ilya Mikheyev. Mitab from Surrey, loved how the Canucks somehow got the job done today. What I'm worried is Mikheyev and his future with the team. Do you guys think they'll be able to package him and somehow get uh, someone with good value back from... uh, for Mikheyev. So my initial response for this season normally would have been no, don't expect that. Given that this front office has been mm-hmm. so adept at making trades and moving money out, I wouldn't put anything past them. Having said that, more of an off-season thing if yeah. it happens. And the other thing to keep in mind, and Mikheyev's coming off the injury and everything, we know what he can do and we know he what he has not done recently and, and it's fair to critique his play. Last year, two players were very similarly under the microscope, but I'd say probably even more so, Connor Garland and Brock Besser. Significantly more. Significantly more. A lot of criticism. Get rid of these guys. Got to move them out. What are they doing this season? Like, it's Mm -hmm. been a good turnaround. The reason why Mikheyev, I believe, has more lasting power here than, say, Kuzmenko is because he can do the things they want stylistically, principle-wise, staple-wise, fitting in with the system. He's got size. He skates well. It's been up and down, the skating, we know, with the recovery from the injury. Good defensively, can be good on the PK, can play a supporting role in the top six. It hasn't come together the way they want it to. Do you have some concern about maybe selling too low on a player that Mm -hmm. can still be a positive for you? And you may be 
best suited to bring him back next year and see how things go. And given how they've been able to get guys back up to speed again, what's to say they're not going to get the best version of Mikheyev next season? 100% um, with you on that one. 650, 650. Uh, a couple more thoughts in the inbox. A lot of Jewel said love. I just turned, just tuned in. Uh, I was really impressed with Juleson today, shaping up to be a very nice third-pairing D-man. Uh, and James from Richmond, don't forget, he was also a first-round pick, just now getting into his own. Uh, good to have him uh, staying patient and getting reward for all of his hard work. Certainly, Gonchar and Foot deserve uh, a ton of credit alongside Rick Tockett about the steps Noah Juleson has made. Because the, the, there was a stretch there in October where... I, I think I might have even said, like, I've been Noah Juleson's biggest fan here for a couple of years. And... Here's this opportunity to finally take that step and and grab an opportunity in October. It, lo- it looked really rough, and then the growth here in four months has been fantastic to watch. Yeah, it really has been, and he's gotten to a stage where we feel completely confident and comfortable. Yeah. He's been good defensively. I mean, the the play I was most impressed by was one he made yesterday, Bick, and you brought it to my attention again. I saw it happen quickly. I didn't realize how good a play it was. He was on the PK. There was yeah. a cross-seam pass coming across, a hard cross-seam yeah. pass. From Patrick Kane. He takes it on the backhand, and it sticks to a stick. Mm-hmm. And he moves the puck out calmly, no issues at all. That's a high-level play to make, mm-hmm. a smart defensive play, but also to show having the hands to corral and handle that puck. To be ready for it, almost baiting Kane yeah. to make the pass. It's like, hey, I got it covered. You can try it if you want, but I got it covered. To me, that's like a high-level defensive play. Mm-hmm. I was very, very impressed by that. And today, he gets an assist on the Garland goal. There's nothing spe- spectacular yeah. about it. But it's about the recognition yeah. of the moment and getting the puck up ice quickly. And then he throws a big hit there at, yeah. at the red line as well. It's massive step, right? And and, and even times, like Rick Tockett has mentioned, yeah, we, we have seven good D-men. It, it sucks to, to keep one of these guys out because they deserve to be in the lineup. And when we talked to Quinn Hughes at Dyson Ice, you know, we just mentioned, hey, the Ronick pairing yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Brief little praise for Philip Ronick. Not that he was, you know, downplaying it. But he's like, hey, I've played with a lot of good guys. Like Noah Juleson's here. should be in the lineup. And yeah, he was, he was very quick to praise Noah Juleson. We, we weren't there to ask about Noah Juleson. We wanted to say, like, hey, how, how much has Philip Ronick benefited your game? And I was like, yeah, well, a lot of guys do. Noah Juleson helps me and, and on and on. And he, he's he's deserved the love that he's getting, and he's earned it, too, from uh, the fans and coaching staff alike. He certainly has. As far as the deployment on the back end today, Quinn Hughes almost hit 30 minutes, 29 minutes and 17 seconds of ice time. Philip Hironik played nearly 26 minutes, 25-52. And we kind of assumed this when we spoke about this during mm-hmm. the pregame show that given that they're going with Friedman and Juleson on the third pair, I wouldn't be surprised they're going to lean heavily on the top pair and perhaps get those guys with Juleson from time to time. Maybe you, you move things around a little bit, do the D by committee. And... It really was the top pair taking a huge load off the rest of the defense with Zadorov being suspended. It's boosted by three minutes in OT for Quinn Hughes, yeah. but... That's still 26 minutes yeah. of five-on-five five time. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, even strength It's time. akin to what we saw before the Zadorov trade, right? Yeah, yeah. And when we mentioned yesterday, like, the biggest value Zadorov has provided is that he can eat minutes, and he, he helped you stop the bleeding there from that stretch where it was Friedman and... And Juleson, we we had those conversations. Like you can't play Quinn Hughes twenty seven minutes every night. You can't play him twenty nine minutes against San Jose in a losing effort. That that was a gut punch to do that. And now it's a bit more like what we saw back in November, just because the bodies aren't there. And and Mark Friedman again eleven minutes tonight. Thought he did uh, well enough with it. Obviously the penalty uh, kind of sucks, but uh, th- that one I would just chalk up to 
you're getting back into it. Maybe you get a couple of things wrong uh, as far as penalties. So it, it was it was well done for Mark Friedman coming in, but you see the impact it has on the other demon. Yeah, I mean, obviously not as well. Twenty five fifty two for Heronic. Yeah, uh, Tyler Myers nineteen forty nine tonight, and Ian Cole just over uh, nineteen. Yeah, nineteen thirty one. Yeah, and uh, Mark Friedman played just over eleven minutes mm-hmm. in the game today. Hey, but you know what? I didn't notice him when he played, which I think is a positive thing overall in the 11 minutes that he was asked to play today on the Canucks 3-2 overtime victory over the Washington Capitals. A lot of questions and comments here on the text inbox. Um, This one here says, Canucks will have zero Milstein clients by the start of next year. I don't think so. I don't think so. We'll see. I mean, the take. Max Sasson is down in the organization. He's also a Mm -hmm. Milstein client. He plays in Abbotsford. I don't know if that'll happen. We'll see. Well, on the main roster, How okay. That? On the main roster, I'd still be surprised. If I I, I would be too, but that's a, a hey takes coming in the inbox. We, we we check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Juleson getting some love here on the text inbox. And Tony Van says, "There's no doubt that Joshua has blossomed under Talkit. What do you think? There, what what do you think will be a team friendly number for him to stay? You guys were talking about him earlier. That is Tony in Vancouver on Dakota Joshua. Dakota oh. Joshua. So Dakota Joshua, yeah. the way that the numbers he is putting up, I mean, it's it's gonna be like he can probably ask for three million. Oh, I was in free say, agency. Like he, he's on pace to to put up what thirty seven points this year. Yeah, if he gets that's some really quick math. If he even gets close to if he gets eighteen goals, even twenty goals. Jordan Greenway, they're not similar in terms of nastiness. Greenway's a nastier player, maybe a bit faster to better forechecker, but I think uh, Dakota Joshua probably has more offensive skill. That's a guy that's making getting paid $3 million. Kind of Similar player profiles, right? I'm sure that's what he's asking for. Team-friendly, is a team is the friendliest contract you can hope to get from him is like 2.5 over four years or I, something. I just can't imagine it starts with the two. If, if you could get that, that would be the team-friendliest yeah. number, I think. And outside of... I, I, that's my thing. I think it might be like low threes with term, yeah. like four years, yeah. is is kind of what I would imagine. Like roughly twelve million or yeah. so. Yeah, total money, right? We should have done that. Total money, total money, roughly. Like he's he can command ten million plus. You yeah. Know? So good for him. We'll see ultimately what happens. Jesse, and I, I think we we also have to reframe this because we spent so many years in the flat cap that it it's you might be like three million dollars it's it's gonna change right we have to reframe what we think about contracts specifically coming into this off season because it will raise it a lot will faster. eventually yeah. at the same time though there's only so much cap space to have next season yep. so it all kind of plays into it uh jesse says can we flip lindholm before the deadline for <laughs> wow no and, and this there, per- there's a lot of lindholm text there coming is. In right there's now. a question though it says what are you guys' thoughts on lindholm so far i'm personally not impressed missed his goals in the first game and didn't think he had a strong second half to the carolina game haven't seen much positive from him yet looks awkward out there and doesn't seem to have much upside aside from making the safe play as we mentioned a bit earlier it's still very much a work in progress i'm not sounding any alarm bells around mm-hmm. lindholm and his fit you got to give it some time, you know, like at, if we get to say 15 games in for him here in Vancouver and it looks awkward, then I'll be a little concerned. I just think we have to be patient with a new player coming in and he's playing a sizable role on the team mm-hmm. too. It's not like he's coming in, getting his feet wet. He's coming in, being asked to play a significant role. And especially, you know, part of the consideration of bringing him in was there's that right-handed face-off. Well, tonight he goes nine for two in the draw, 82%. So pretty massive in that r- aspect and situationally okay that's gonna be important come playoff time 
they they need a right-handed face-off winner on the PK. Mm-hmm. And again, tonight, uh, Lindholm plays 1926, a uh, minute on the PK, 51 seconds. So it, it, an important step there. I, I, I don't know. But he I, was 81.8% in the face-off yeah. circle. Um, I, for me, I just feel like he's looked like Elias Lindholm. I, I'm not sure what people were expecting. Was it this like Mike Gartner-esque guy racing down the wing or something like that? I, I, yeah, I mean, offensively, it's not about for me. It's not so much about him going out there and, and being being the swashbuckling player. I think when he's at his best, play connects seamlessly. Yeah. That hasn't come to fruition. Well, yet. it did in the first game. Yes. Well, I mean, and then the first mm-hmm. period, really, they had a really good first. Like, not. To, I think the texture is right. They had a great start. It tailed off in the second. He was good defensively. Made yeah. a lot of safe plays. Was out there to protect the lead. Led all Canucks. And the Boston nice game time. was just a mess for everyone. Complete mess. And these last two games, he put on a different line. Yeah. It's it's just like early returns. Yeah, and but when he's at his best, he's really good at connecting play together with his line mates. Digs pucks out. They work together in unison really well. But that takes some time for it to come together, and we haven't seen it yet. The beauty for the Canucks is, though, as they're integrating a player into the lineup, they go 2-1-1 one, one over that stretch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you're, you're doing fine. Half decent. Doing just fine. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. We'll hit some more of these, and we are going to have Ian McIntyre join us at 2 30 and we're wrapping up after iMac joins us today a bit of a tight schedule where we're going to get everything in but we wanted to hear from Canucks netminder Thatcher Demko uh here on the post game show sensational performance between the pipes and here he is post game talking to Kate Pedersen about his performance Thatcher from your vantage point what did you see in terms of the overall effort from this group yeah I mean it was just a game we had to stick with it um you know on a back-to-back uh travel all that stuff so sometimes it's not going to be pretty um but, you know, just staying with it mentally, um, you know, is a, a kudos to the group in there. When you squeak out a point in overtime yesterday, how important was it to find a way to get it done with the way that you guys have st- set the bar so high this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we were overly um, impressed with our game yesterday. Uh, I felt like we kind of let it slip. So uh, today was a big one for us to come back and, and make sure that we got the two points, and, and we did. What's the biggest key for you guys moving forward to close out this road trip on a high? Um, just get our rest tomorrow. Um, you know, and, and just show up to uh, to Chicago, and you know we, we can't take any games for granted here. It's uh, hockey's going to get tougher, and, and we know that. And um, you know we got to close this out right, and then get back home. Thanks, Thatcher. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, that is Thatcher Demko post game speaking to Kate Pedersen, and we have some more player audio here post game, and it's, and it's pretty quick. But on Quinn Hughes, play twenty nine minutes tonight. The one thing that happened in overtime, however, and the Canucks got away with it, was very early in the overtime, was a player got behind Quinn Hughes again. How much, and that happened also to Wallman, who ends up, you know, getting the penalty shot as well the last game. Part of me is a bit, I say squeamish, even breaking down overtime too much because it's three on three and everything. But it's a couple of times now, guys getting behind him a little bit. It's about risk assessment, yes. not three on three. And that at times has been a little bit dicey. Yesterday, obviously, with Wallman. Today, with McMichael, I believe, that was snuck in behind him. Uh, so, again, we, we were talking about repeated mistakes or yeah. repeated things. Okay, now, th- that to me is one to, to keep an eye on. The thing is, it's three on three. It's three on three. I, I don't worry about that going to the playoffs. What it means for the rest of the season, sure, we can have that discussion. But everything, to me, right now is geared towards what does this look like in the playoffs. I, I don't see Quinn Hughes doing that five on five very often. No. it's It's just... It's a three-on-three quirk. So 
if it means they get one less point, okay, maybe it's the the, the president's trophy falls out the way. The, 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 they're pacing the Pacific Division right now. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to see Vegas even catching up to them. Edmonton, certainly not. Um, I, 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 I'm not that concerned about the, the Quinn Hughes thing. Not as much. And as far as Quinn Hughes goes, he met with the media postgame, and here is the Canucks captain after a 3-2 overtime victory over the Washington Cap. So, sorry, uh, Quinn Hughes. It's Connor Garland audio. <laughs> I'm getting all mixed up here. I'm gonna... I mean... No I means. I just make it just, just an E. What is I mean, we could go to the right audio. All right, l- let's go. Connor Garland. His line <laughs> had a terrific game today, and here is Connor Garland meeting with the media postgame. Yeah, I think we've been happy with our competing effort for, uh, you know, most of all the games. I think Boston was a slip-up, but we were pretty good in Detroit and good to, good again tonight, but uh, just found a way to get one late in, uh, in another tight game. How important was it to get that two points when you go into overtime for that second game in a row? Yeah, obviously, you know, losing one in overtime, you're, you know, it's in the back of your mind. You don't want to have a couple slip away, um, but, you know, we... Uh, it's a, it's, it's a good finish by Millsy. It's always one of the best players in the league. Not many guys can get it on and off their stick that quickly, so it was, it was a great play. Was it fun to watch Hoaglander's goal? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we were all yelling skate at him. It was uh, just it was, like, cruising up the middle, and then all of a sudden, three seconds later, he's you know, having a highlight real goal. So, uh, But he's, he's been great for us all year. It's nice to see him get rewarded because he's been playing really well lately. Well, it's just about our efforts. I think, you know, we, we lost in Boston. We had a really good effort. You know, in Detroit, we just had a couple bounces not go our way, and, you know, we followed it up again tonight. You know, even if, you know, that doesn't go in and we lose in the shootout, we had a good effort. You know, like, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, pretty aware of when we play well and when we don't, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the best thing about us. When we have a bad effort, we'll follow it up with a good one. That is Connor Garland, not Quinn Hughes. Connor Garland postgame, and that was totally on me. And fast Eddie Gregory said, did I give you the wrong name? I'm like, no, Eddie, that's not on you. That is on me. It's a, it's a clear error by myself. And Bick is just Trade set. Trade set. <laughs> Washed. Can't give him $13 million a year. <laughs> too uh, skinny on the uh, microphone. <laughs> too skinny. Too weak on the microphone. Not skinny, not not anymore. Uh, Mark texted and says, "Just joining your show finally. So curious. A less than an effective game by PD has gotten has that gotten his proper airtime, or are we glossing over his assists because we're not allowed to speak negatively of Mister Franchise? I mean, I mean, here we go again. As far as speaking negatively, like nobody stops you from speaking negatively. It's as if like there, there's no embargo. Like, text message doesn't like go through. Just like doesn't like hit a block if you say something that's." Not negative about Pedersen, and based on wait, hang on. The the text is suggesting we don't do negative Pedersen talk. It's literally been the last few shows. Like we've we've literally read all like <laughs> the texts that have come in about the negative Pedersen talk, which is why we've talked Pedersen because we think it's irrational. If we if we were embargoing it, we just wouldn't bring it up. Mm-hmm. We quite literally are talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I had we're to... sharing your opinion of it. We disagree, but we're we're quite literally reading them. <laughs> Somebody was. It's one of those things, right? It's just gonna happen. I just wanted to read the text for those saying, you know, because there have been people criticizing. So yeah, the thoughts get in there every once in a while. All right, sorry. Finish your thought. I had to interrupt you. Uh, I forgot what it was, but Brandon Napoco says Sat looked like the Bills kicker missing by identifying the wrong Vancouver player in that audio clip. I shouldn't have interrupted you. That's a broadcasting mistake. It's all. I should know the code. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody said you're a professional. Well. We do a great job of pretending here on I, a daily basis. I pulled basis. the Ridley Gregg there. Uh, 
stopping your train of thought. You should have went Morgan Riley on me. Just... Yeah, you you know you know what? If you if you interrupted my thought more respectfully, <laughs> but because you said it so quickly, it was too fast. Oh man, too much, too many MPHs. You know that's the problem <laughs> there. All right, I'll keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox six fifty six fifty. We are going to get to Ian McIntyre on the other side as the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on, presented by the Number Five Orange, a Vancouver legend. Well, well, two minutes. I can't even go to break yet. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> All right, let me read some text here. 650, uh, Tyler, you were having such a good game until you yeah. got blunder and chaos at. Yeah. Uh, this one, uh, great OT win, unsigned text. Or sorry, this is from Claude. Interesting to see the deployment by talking on the power play and to start overtime. Seems to me there's a clear message being sent by the coach. I need to focus on being defensively responsible, avoid the t- costly turnover. Turnover, would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I wouldn't get too focused on the power play usage. It's the second unit that goes out on the first two power plays. Um, the Miller, Lindholm, Besser line, and Quinn Hughes were out there for 45 seconds when they drew the first penalty. Yeah. And then Hronik was out there too, so he's the one that stays out there. The second penalty, uh, Miller, Lindholm, Besser are out there, and I think it was, uh, I'll bring up the exact uh, shift length here, but they were out there for a bit, and Hoaglander and Pedersen just jump on, Pedersen, uh, Hoaglander draws that penalty, and are you going to throw Brock back out there? I, th- I think they were out there for a minute uh, 15, or a minute 27 right before then, so uh, I-, I wouldn't read too much in why the second unit got out there first, I think it just chalk up to... The, the 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 freshness of that play yeah was not ready the second time I was more surprised um, that they didn't go with the first unit on the second power play opportunity still one of the guys a couple of the guys were out there before but I've seen them go to the first unit despite that in the past mm-hmm. so I was a bit surprised to see it you're right about the first one they had sustained pressure for two minutes mm-hmm. in the offensive zone. But uh, perhaps a slight little message on the second opportunity on the power play. All right, uh, we'll get to more of your thoughts. Ian McIntyre on the other side as the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on, presented by the number five orange of Vancouver legend. And they've got sports too. And more is coming up on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. As Patterson battles forward to the corner and Hughes is there to get it. Hughes, near side for Hoaglander. He'll skate left wing to center. Right wing for Patterson across the capital line. Drops for Hoaglander, cutting to the goal. Backhand, he scores! What a goal by Niels Hoaglander! As he goes backhand shelf, short side on Darcy Kemper. And the Canucks respond to tie the game at two. This is a goal scorer's goal. He dips the shoulder like he's going to cut across the front of the crease for Kemper. That makes him go down. And then he just goes upstairs short side. I thought he was really good. I I don't, I don't know. He only got 11, 12. I don't know how. I thought he played him, but... Uh, I thought Hoggy was dog on the bone. You know, that, these games when, um, you know, some guys are tired, you could tell for whatever reason. Guys like Hoggy shine because he's a motor. I thought Garland and him were our best players. They were, Garland was excellent tonight. So, um, you know, give them, those two guys a lot of credit tonight. 
Canucks come away with a 3-2 victory in overtime against the Washington Capitals. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar. And it's time to welcome in the man we call the closer, but also the triple threat. You watch them on TV today during intermissions. You read them on digital all the time. And you're about to hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. Well, as I speak to you from Washington, D.C., I'm looking, I don't know what direction it is, might be east, down 12th Street, and I can see the top of the Washington Monument in the distance. So I feel inspired, feel inspired speaking to you guys today. Oh, we love that. We love inspired, Ian, and oftentimes you inspire us with your breakdown of what you watch. And uh, what what did you witness today in Washington against the Capitals from the Vancouver Canucks? Well, after disagreeing with me in my question in yesterday's post-game scrum, Rick Tockett, of course, <laughs> he and I agreed today because as God is my witness, in the dressing room uh, before Tockett did his scrum, I was in the back corner. Uh, a couple of players were chirping each other, and, and Miller and Garland are always have something to say to one another, either about each other or about something else. And Garland was noting that their ice times were were almost even and, with Miller. And Miller said something like, yeah, you should have played at least four minutes more than me. And I said, or eight. <laughs> And Miller just kind of shrugged and said, you're not, you're not wrong. And uh, I said to, to Garland, I, I said, you know, I thought he had a really good game. And I, and I said to him, I thought you and Hoaglander were the best players today. And it looks like Rick Tockett agreed with me. I don't know. I don't know where that story was going. Well, I have, I have a question for you on Garland, because we got a text earlier that we haven't addressed yet uh, that says, uh, I feel like Garland might be the biggest turnaround fan favorite uh, this season. Uh, as in, there, we got rid of this li- We got to get rid of this liability to now this guy rules. And it, it's kind of been that, that way for a couple of players I want to touch on. Garland being one. And also Noah Juleson's getting a lot of love in the inbox today, too, uh, for what he did today. And we recall what happened in October to where he is now just a, a, a big turnaround seasons for a couple of players that were pivotal today. Yeah, and you didn't mention Hoaglander in the turnaround, and he's, he's yep. Yep. probably bigger than anybody because last year he couldn't play in the NHL. They were trying to teach him how to play in the American Hockey League. And now uh, not only has has he established you know a foothold on an NHL career here this season with the Canucks, but he's got 16 goals while basically playing from, from the fourth line. And now he's getting a chance to play with, with Pedersen. So I would say Garland, though, I don't think he was ever not a fan favorite. I mean, whenever a player's name comes up, as it did at the start of the year, is wanting out. And, of course, Connor says that was a mischaracterization of the situation. And he made it clear with me about two weeks into the season that he didn't want to go anywhere. It's it's going to be divisive, and some people are not going to like him. But I think I think for the most part, Garland has has had a, a, quite a lot of love since he came here. You know, for the amount of ice time that he's had, and for what he's 
for what he's put up. It's just at times, you know, his his contract didn't look great because the Canucks have, have been under such a salary cap vice. But I think people have always liked Connor because they they like the underdog. They like they like the little guy, and you know he plays his ass off every game. Uh, I I thought, and we've talked about this, uh, but not for a while. I thought at times he had gotten away from being the player he was in in Arizona in terms of always being involved, always being. Everyone on the other team is trying to punch him after the whistle because he's in the goalie's grill. He's constantly around the puck. He he's never gives up. The dog in the bone line that dog on the bone line that Tockett used for Hoglander applies a lot to Garland as well. And I think lately, I think Garland's been that player again. Uh, I saw it was at the Athletic did the NHL player poll and Garland was number four as in as players uh, opponents would most like to punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he fits you know, the bill. Yeah, so he's you know he's probably doing his job. When, when that's the reaction to him. So he's he's had a really good season, <clears throat> as we know. Hoaglander's had a really good season as a bounce back. And the third guy on your list, absolutely a bounce back, because like like Hoaglander, you know, what, couldn't even play in the NHL. You know, Noah Juleson is a great story in that he hasn't, until this last few months, he hadn't been an NHL regular, really, since his rookie season in Montreal which I think was five years ago now. It might be six. But it's been a long time between, between NHL runs uh, for Noah Juleson. And normally it, when that happens, you're, you're more suspect than prospect, you know, because you were given a chance early whether you were ready or not. And a lot of guys aren't ready. Hoaglander's another guy who would fit that category as a guy who wasn't ready in terms of a 200-foot game when he first got a chance. But Juleson has gone from just being kind of an afterthought to a lineup regular. And remember when when Carson Soucy came back from his last injury and the team had acquired Nikita Zadorov, Talkett made it very clear how, how uh, reticent he was to, to take... Juleson out of the lineup. It's almost like he was doing it against his will. But, he, you know, when you look at the team as when everyone's healthy, Juleson wasn't a top six. I'm not so sure he wouldn't be a top six now mm-hmm. with everybody healthy. You know, he's, he, he's a guy that Adam Foote has, has always liked. I don't know. I, I suspect that Foote sees qualities in Juleson's game that Foote valued as a player. And I know that Foot has has worked with him an awful lot. Of course, they have Ser- Sergey Gonchar uh, around as well. And somehow, Juleson, at at this stage, he's just so much more ready to be an NHL player than he was at the start of his career, or on occasion when he got these little cameos here or there to show that he could play. He just seems so much more ready now. And of course, once you get some reps. And you have some success that builds confidence and it becomes like, you know, it's like a, a hybrid engine. Like the, just running gives you more energy. And when, you, when you're running well, as Juleson has, then it gives you, gives you more confidence. But it becomes a little bit self-sustaining. And I think that's where Juleson is right now.
Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Juleson's just been tremendous. And, you know, we were talking about it in terms of just zooming out big picture for a moment. You feel pretty comfortable with him coming back next season and perhaps being on your third pair and figuring out the rest of the guys you got to fill in. And that's quite the thing to say about a guy that we didn't quite know where he fit in when he came into things in training camp. But I did also want to ask you about Thatcher Demko. We started off the show waxing poetic about how incredible he was today. And he's had a sensational season, of course. There's been, you know, some ups and downs here and there, and he's had some grand fewer performances where he shut it down in the third. Was this one of his most impressive ones, considering the degree of difficulty in stretches in the second, third, and in overtime? Yeah, I, I'm not good at telling you whether this was his best because he's played so many good games. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't really thought of it, uh, to be honest with you. I haven't sort of ranked them. I think he's had better games, uh, even though he was very good, don't get me wrong, but he's just had so many so many strong games this year. But I would say this again about Demko, that what I find most impressive about him is that he makes his biggest saves when the game is on the line. Now, maybe that's maybe that's self-evident with every goal. Maybe as the games go later, the saves are bigger. But it just seems that Thatcher Demko is at his sharpest when the team absolutely needs him to be. And it doesn't seem to matter whether it's a one nothing game or a 5-4 game or in the game today, you know, it's 2-2 in the third period and then into overtime. He seems to make his best saves, his best moments are when the game is on the line. And I think he's a huge, huge factor in why the Canucks just have that mind-blowing stat about closing out games in the third period, even though they didn't do it in Detroit, but they still got a point. They still haven't lost in regulation time in, I think it's 31 games now. And I I know, of course, today it was 2-2, so it didn't add to the list. But I think so much of that and being able to close out these games is because Demko is at his best when when they need him to be. You know, when the game is tied, when they're up one and trying to close out a game. Uh, We've even seen in, in the few games where the Canucks have had to come back, Sometimes when they're down a goal or two, he he's makes big saves that become bigger later on once the team pulls itself uh, back in. And, you know, the Columbus game just before the break where the team came back in the third period was one of those games. I just think he's been uh, so timely for, for the Canucks. Uh, and that's maybe as important a quality for a goalie to have as anything. Uh, what is uh, Ilya Mikheyev's pathway back into uh, a spot with uh, Elias Pettersson? Uh, we were talking earlier, is, is the suitor Pettersson thing a fit, or is it more suited for Mikheyev, Pettersson, and Hoaglander for a little run here? Yeah, well, play better. Play better, get more ice time. Right now, that line has been good uh, for two games, at least offensively. And by the way, that was part of what was so impressive about Hoaglander today because the things that Rick Talkett was talking about after yesterday's game in Detroit mm-hmm. were directly about Hoaglander. You know, the, the failing to box out on on the winning goal. And I made the point on TV today that, you know, that sometimes there's this disconnect between what fans see and what coaches see and people can't understand. Why aren't, why doesn't Hoaglander play more? He's got these goals. Put him on the top six. Put him on the power play and all this stuff. But... What about the other stuff? You know, what about the blockouts and sort of the defensive lapses at, at times? And, you know, yesterday he, Hoaglander was very good in some offensive situations and poor in a couple of defensive 
situations, including one that cost them the tying goal. I thought it was a great bounce back game for him today. And as long as Pedersen, Hoaglander, and Suter are uh, creating chances for themselves, you know that Pedersen's a very defensively aware, very smart player, and, and so is Suter. Then you just live with it. I, I don't think they're too worried about what Ilya Mikheyev has to do to get back out the lineup. Just play better. Start with that. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that either. Uh, Ian, Ian uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, everybody's a bit tight on the schedule today. Are you going to get a chance to watch the big football game, or are you going to be busy writing the whole time? Well, I'm going to at least have another hour and a half worth of work, so it'll be touch and go, but I'll probably watch some of it. I also happen to be in one of the world's great cities, which has a couple of great restaurants, and I don't think I'm going to have any trouble at all tonight <laughs> getting, getting a table if I decide to to uh, sneak out of the hotel for 45 minutes and get something to eat. So I might do that as well, but I'll see, I'll see some of it for sure. And uh, hopefully I might even find out how Nick Taylor finishes in, mm-hmm. in uh, Phoenix. Well, it's been a, it's been a rowdy waste management open apparently this weekend. So um, I'm intrigued to see what happened today. Cause it seemed to be quite, quite a bit of controversy with fans yelling a bit too much. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happened. Yeah. It's funny. Like it's, it's fun and everyone has, thinks it's great until it's not great yeah and and uh, the tour and that particular tournament has have cultivated this atmosphere and it's partly why it's so unlike every other tournament the 16th hole is fantastic but you know it like everything else it has boundaries and it just seems at times they they go over the boundaries there but still a great uh Still a great atmosphere and a great performance so far by Nick Taylor. Yeah, absolutely has been. Another great performance by you, Ian, on the post-game show, and I can't wait uh, to read your latest on sportsnet.ca. Well, thank you, Sam. <laughs> I'll look forward to talking to you guys. I will not be in Chicago. I'm going home tomorrow. So I'll talk to you on the phone from sunny Richmond Sounds on Tuesday. Good. House McIntyre, that's where you'll be tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. So we look forward to chatting with you from there on Tuesday. Thanks so much, Ian. See you guys. Uh, that is Ian McIntyre. And as always, uh, this insider was brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. And Ian joined us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. Now, before you wrap up here and get out, um, a couple of texts I wanted to hit really quickly because we were talking about... Uh, Connor Garland mm-hmm. uh, and, sh- and uh, Satan and Marple says just under five million is money well spent for the next two seasons on Garland. If he can continue to play like this, even if it's only putting up 40 ish points, he is the driver on the third line. And the emergence of that line is a huge piece of this team's consistency and the replicability and diversity of the ways it can win. It's a good thought by Shatan. And I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, I I've been a Garland critic. There's nothing for me to criticize this year with how mm-hmm. he's played. I've even asked you. Does it make more sense instead of paying so much to keep Joshua as well and maybe overpaying just to keep Teddy Bluger? Are you not better off holding on to Garland and then maybe Seeing getting bargain do, do right. guys again for him to be the driver? It's an interesting thought. And as we've outlined, as much as the Canucks have got themselves out of cap hell, now they just have good team cap problems, which means you have a lot of good mm-hmm. players. You don't have enough money to keep them. That's the reality of the salary cap world. But they can't keep everybody. So a lot of options here for the Canucks all of a sudden with this roster. It's just really dicey at times to break out something that clearly has a lot of chemistry. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's been absolutely sensational. That, that, that line is like turned into their totem where when they need to check the reality, they just boom. 
that line goes out and they stabilize the game. It's like, all right. Yeah. There you go. 100%. This one, uh, two things on Garland. Totem line. What about that? Well, that's not bad. Totem line? I don't know. Not bad. I don't know. Two things on Garland, this text says. One, is he using a longer stick? No. Two, (laughs) did he stop spinning? Yes. I mean, he's still spinning, but he's not doing yeah. this. Like the, far more effective yes, style. far more. Exactly. So I don't think it's been like he's been the same player. Like, I do think he's tweaked his game, and it's been far better. And Mike and Tawasin will close things off with this. The chocolate almond is underrated as a charcuterie board addition, putting in a garland-like performance. <laughs> what? I don't know, but I like it. You know what? It's so random. We got to read it. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm kind of hungry, too. Yeah. So I uh, can't wait to go eat, go watch some football. Appreciate every single one of you participating in the show today and having a lot of fun. Canucks pick up yet another victory, 2-1-1 one, one on this five-game road trip so far. They close it out on Tuesday in Chicago against the Blackhawks. We'll be back here for the pregame show intermission and post game as always but a lot coming up tomorrow on the people show you guys doing a super bowl recap What's going oh on? of course we'll talk about the chiefs winning the super bowl chiefs winning the super bowl <laughs> right, hey, if the 49ers win we're just not going to talk about it we'll talk about the canucks power play i'm sure you would it's, it's exactly <laughs> what i would expect from a seahawks fan uh, uh that's bick nazar i'm satyar shaw he's fast eddie gregory producing the show and putting thank- in work by the way as always you go man. see the podcast title yesterday that was out of control from straight eddie. straight fire yeah. fast eddie gregory he is a true mvp of the post game show does all the dirty work behind the scenes we appreciate him very much and we appreciate all of you for listening participating and just being part of the funness that we have this season this has been the Canuck central post game show presented by the number five orange a vancouver legend they've got sports too i'm sure the super bowl more coming up later on the home of your canucks sportsnet 650